0: Sure. British Strongman Podcast episode 14. Today we have Tom Hibbert our guest. Tom would you be able to um, give you, give a, a, a bio of yourself to the for, for the listeners who mm. <clears throat> haven't heard of you?
1: Please. Sure, not very good at I'm not very good at these but we'll try. So my name's Tom. I own a gym in Southampton. We've just gone through a rebrand actually. We're going to be it used to be called Winning Health Solutions. We've had a lot of general pop members, a lot of strongmen, a lot of athletes come through here. And we're going to be rebranding to Winning Strength Southampton. Just a slight name change and business model change. Um I suppose I'm known as a strongman, um, as an under 90 strongman. I'm a three-time England's under-90 strongman. I've managed to win that three times, which is cool. Uh, came second at Worlds, I think 2016, Terry Rady, and previously held. The, previously, it didn't last very long. Previously, held the under ninety log world record, um, James's long-standing record, and then, and more recently, gone up a weight category because fed up of leaning out to under ninety. It's not as fun anymore, and I'm the current British record record holder of the log uh, log press, but also uh, coach a decent amount of strong men and strong women over the years as well.
0: So, what, what's the, what's your current um, 105 record? Is it 177.5? 177. Yeah. Well point two, but point
1: two. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? What what's the what's the
0: world record? 105?
1: 186. It's it might be one eighty six and a half. Rob I Kearney. Think, yeah. Rob Kearney. Uh, very very nice lift. Um, way back. He's had it for ages. Almost as long as James has stood and, and, and Hicksy's British one has stood. Um, I reckon I was good for at least five more kilos on that day, but I had an absolute nightmare. I remember talking to Shane about it, and he pointed out a couple of things and recommended a change, a clean. Took his advice, and so we're rolling with a belt clean or kind of belt slash belly clean. But I, I, I cocked up. I um, so I went in for the one, hit the one six seven, and my warm ups, everything was was flying quicker than ever before. Lovely press through one six seven was a piece of piece of piss. Jumped to 177. I missed the clean, and I've don't think I've ever missed a clean in training ever. And I was like, what? Uh, came back to it, cleaned it, got something in my eye. I don't know if you've ever had that happen at the top. <laughs> Tried pressing it with one eye shut, and it just didn't happen. And obviously, that was my own. It, it, this was my last attempt. So I was like, what? so I cleaned it again. I managed to still press it, and it came off my chest then um, quite quickly. So I think I was good for at least in my mind. You know, when you say it's like I'm. Good for 182, so I only need to find five kilos in my next training block, uh, so to speak, to be within a shout or be within a whisker of, of getting near the world record. Um, so, I think what's, it's the, what's the
0: goal with it then, uh, Tom? Like, uh, obviously, go for the world record. What, what uh, time frame have you put on that? And have you got an It's event? difficult to put
1: a time frame, isn't it? Because yeah, of course, we haven't any really yeah. competitions. Um, I don't really want to hit it in the gym. Uh, I'll wait till something gets announced. Um, not not too fast. I'm not I'm not really in a rush. I, yeah. my, my actual goal was to try and hold both of the weight category world records at the same time, but Rob, Rob bloody ward uh, ruined <laughs> that by going and beating it the same day I did the one seven seven cheeky bugger. So yeah, there's no, there's no time frame. If I can, if I can get one eight seven by the end of the year, cause there's a comp I'll do it. I think that would be the last, last one I try and attempt. I think there's more there to be found. Um, but obviously just beating a world record is, is enough. If you get a few more kilos, it's cool. If not, you're not that bothered on the day where you beat it by a kilo or five kilos.
0: <laughs> and do you have any, any other uh, goals within competing in Strongman or is, it, is it, are you mainly focused on specializing with the log and maximizing no, what I you can th- do in I that?
1: No, th- oh, I, I, I did Worlds last time in 2017. And then I just kind of took a step back. I needed to, uh, uh, for my mindset, it wasn't, I didn't really have a nice comp. Uh, mentally um, so it just, I just kind of lost lost passion for the whole competing but I still had that passion to try and achieve James's world record that it stood for forever um, so no I don't really have any aspirations on competing I never say never but it's very all-consuming even just training a lot the log's much easier but you, you know you throw in deadlifts heavier squats moving events I don't really have any aspirations especially at 105 I mean, the weights even just at under 90, we're getting um, enough. I haven't done any comps at 105 of a decent standard, so trying to jump up to what is it, 400 kilo, foot I don't know what they do, 440 yokes? What do they do? Something? I just don't have the aspiration to do it. I
0: think I think the what what is the the they're doing the 105 super series this year, which is like the I uh, think it's like Britain's is it maybe England's most powerful man merging mm-hmm. into one like. Um, mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the events for that, because I've entered, actually, um, the events for that are 125 yoke press, um, 350 yoke, 15 mm-hmm. metres drop and turn, mm-hmm. um, 280 frame carry, mm-hmm. 280 15-inch axle deadlift, mm-hmm. and a medley, I think. Maybe something else as well. Yeah, um, I no, mean, it's not crazy, so Evan. No, got it's doing. not. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I think you're looking at like worlds 105 weight or something because the I actually think if I'm no offense to the guys over here, but I think the 105 standard has actually dropped a little bit overall because the guys have started moving moving up. Mm. No, well, it happens, doesn't it? It's natural progression, yeah, and there hasn't been that kind of natural. Well, to be honest, I haven't followed it properly for about a year, so there might be now. But, like you know, the Sean Kennedys and the Ben Kelsey's and all, all those lot that were crazy strong, they didn't they don't seem to have been like replaced, so to speak, from, from what I've seen, anyway. So, do, do you do you think do you
0: think that it seems like people are skipping like almost skipping a step with the national level comps and going to like Worlds, is that what you, what you mean? Or do you just think... Well, Zip- I don't there's even know if those
2: the... guys still compete, but I just don't see those big names um, around anymore. That used to be, like, every year it was like, Sean would be at the Southern qualifier, I think, and then um, Ben Kelsey would usually just auto-qualify, and there was all these, um, like, obviously Cleggies left, and Trav, yeah. and people like that. But these were all it. just these guys that were just like, way ahead of the time almost for static strength. And since mm. they've moved up or left, it's kind of turned into a more athletic field instead of dominated by the, you know, the heavy numbers. So it's like mm. the med the speed on medleys is crazy and the yokes and arm over arms and stuff, but there's not that raw static monster strength mm. there anymore. So the so the weights don't seem to reflect that in the comp is all I mean.
1: Yeah, those weights scream under ninety to me. And that's no disrespect, obviously, it's, it has to step up, you know, it has to be just below world standards. But if you're asking me if I'm going to compete in a, in a 105 comp just at a British standard, I'm not that interested. I, my, my belief is I'd go for world
0: standard or not at all. Yeah, what, do, do you know what, what the what the weights are approximately for world,
2: Shane? Was um, it, the I one can't, can't, me- can't remember from what yeah. you I know it was heavy though, because I remember thinking usually i see 105 comps and i always think to myself oh i couldn't have a tickle at that but um, i remember thinking oh that would i'd actually have to have a long build up to get anywhere near that so i remember it being heavy Mm.
0: brilliant um right so first kind of thing that i want to discuss with you tom um -hmm. to give to to give the listeners like a lot of value so so, assuming that we're 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 talking to like a lot of like say novice inters levels, maybe maybe national level uh, competitors here, what would be your top top three tips for log? For log? Yeah. <laughs> um, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be. It d- d- doesn't have to be uh, three. But I mean, I mean, um, oh, all right. So I'll be more specific. Sure. sure. Like, tips for um, log for,
1: I mean, firstly, get it. A, get a te-
0: technical. All right, fit fan.
1: Technical tips for log clean and press for what max for reps?
0: Yeah, let's let's like say the biggest errors that you that you see at that kind of uh, that you kind of see at that standard. Yeah, most common errors. Most common errors
1: that really wind me up. So, um, not being able to fucking deadlift it properly. I know it sounds stupid, and I see it all the time. But Shane will can. Will agree with me on this. You trained Mike Neal for a period, or you were con- consulting him, or you 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 were, you were dialoguing with Mike. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah.
2: I worked with Mike about three years ago. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you work. There you go. You work with Mike. What's the worst part of his log?
2: The bent over row.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I I don't believe in bent over rowing it into your lap. My opinion is deadlift it. So if you can deadlift the barbell from the floor and you can deadlift like you know under 90 kilos. You can deadlift 300 kilos upwards, I think the world record is 360 now. So that's a huge weight. And I, I've seen guys, I've seen a guy who can deadlift probably 350 in a suit, but he can't fucking deadlift 100 kilos off an 18-inch block with a log. It winds the crap out of me. The deadlift should be efficient. It should be easy. And people mess that up. So at the beginning of the move, you've already wasted too much energy. You're either using too much lower back, your hips are rising. It should be technically perfect. It's from a partial height and it's sub-maximal. Okay. So, perfect deadlift would, would, would be number one.
0: Um, so, so you, so, to, so to clarify, you're talking about the people who like say say pull it in with their like bicep and or bent over row into the lap rather than just standing up and extending.
1: Yeah, anyone who bends who, who rows it into the lap is is missing out. It's it's very inefficient. I, I mean, any of my clients that do that is the first thing I'm like, nah, stop that, start again. Deadlift, deadlift the log. What can you do more? Can you deadlift from eighteen inches more, or can you row? into your, you know, do a bicep curl more, uh, easy, easy answer. So it's inefficient from the start. Um, if you're inefficient from the start, using more energy, so you've got less energy to the press. The other thing, and again, Shane and I keep on getting tagged. Is, it, is he one of your clients, this guy that keeps tagging us on Instagram? Who? I, I don't even know the guy's name. I'm not very good with, with Instagram accounts and whatever. But I remember he tagged me, and I've never met him before. And I was like, oh, he's oh, Lewis. Awesome. Lewis. I, I,
2: he's not a client. No, he tags us. Yeah, I know mean who he is. No, no, he's not. I know you mean that. Okay. I, did,
1: I didn't want to, because if was your client, I didn't want to get involved. Um, but he, <laughs> he tags me and I think it's because he wanted a tip and he tags Shane and he tagged, you know, he tagged he, some, some, some coaches yeah. in it. And, you know, I assume he wanted some techniques. I was like, oh, I think you want some technique advice. And I'm like, look, you are losing 20 kilos by not getting through your toes on a push press. So when you go down at a push press, you should be obviously going through your yeah, heels. I, re- I remember the post
0: we, we, uh, we echoed each other, I think. <laughs> we've yeah, I
1: think Shane said the exact same thing. I think I'd said it, but I didn't see that you'd written that already. But it's like, you're losing that weight. What pisses me off is he then tagged me in the same fucking lift <laughs> four to six weeks later, going, obviously, wants more advice. I'm like, fix the first point. You haven't fixed it yet. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't post anything. So the next thing that really annoys me <laughs> is not being able to get through your, your toes, not plantar flexing your foot. Everyone does it. Look at the Z. Everybody gets, it's, it's like, if you do a jump without plantar flexing, tell me if you can jump higher than with plantar
2: flexing. Yeah, that's, uh, I stole that cue you, and I tell people to do that, and sometimes they actually try and jump in front of me. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, it's, it's, you know, it's like anything else. It's technique. Technique is the base of the pyramid. Technique is the, is the first master of strength. So it's, it's strength skill, as the Russian call, Russians call it. So you can get stronger just by improving your technique. And, you know, he doesn't have to use heavy weights, but he's got to get the timing right. Um, he, he needs to dial the weight back and get through his, um, you know, plantar flex, get an actual leg drive. He's losing 20 to 40 kilos just through his leg drive.
0: Yeah. And I think what's a good point, and I meant to say this when we had Luke Davis on Thursday when we were doing it about the deadlift. Um, a point that I believe in personally is that we can build strength when we're building skill, but we don't necessarily build skill when we're just build when we're building strength. Like, um, yeah. so I, f- I think that a lot of people think about lifting heavier weights is is like, yeah, a large large amount of it is about force production and getting stronger and stuff, so, but. But I think quite a lot of people undervalue the 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 stuff that we can get from like technical gains. You know, like um, just do, doing stuff that people that a lot of people actually see too light as getting a uh, as getting like a force production benefit from uh, from from training it like that. Whereas mm-hmm. actually the the I suppose like the neurological patterning and. Whatever the science we, we want to justify, but basically just practicing at lighter weights with, with the, like these these cues can uh, w- will transfer. Um. Yeah, for sure. Coordination
1: <sighs> I mean, is the first part of strength. That's what I teach my guys.
0: Yeah, and and I think also also I think think a thing personally about about people who are uh, say who I think should go and apply some of the tips that Tom's talking about today, like. If you, if you work with, with a light enough weight, if you work, um, say even like say 50, 60% of your max or whatever, you'd be, you'd be surprised at how, how much actual technical volume you can accumulate that isn't going to really interfere with the recovery. Um, so if, so basically what I'm saying is that you can, that you can get a load of technical progress and then go to your heavy day, like couple of days later and get get a lot more benefit out of it rather than just Mm -hmm. doing um say heavy 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 all the time um yeah i i I completely agree with you on the um that's the the big i think that's the the thing where people are missing the boat the most is like the triple extension or extending onto the toes however you want to put it um Mm -hmm. it, it in in the clean as well like you see see mo- most people um keep the heels flat on the clean and uh, it's something that i have had to work on personally for the last six months i've been really focusing on next, driving through my toes on my clean and my mm. cleans it improved significantly from doing it and um and and again that i've only managed to do that from working with slightly lighter loads and only now i'm doing it at max load and, it, and it's actually transferred over because I was getting over like say 80% and I was going back to my flat feet if you will mm-hmm. um, so yeah I th- think think that's uh, re- mm-hmm. really good Tom um, sure. w- what about you Shane
2: well let's get Tom he's only given us two points out here want third point oh go on there yeah what's the third <laughs> one what's the third <laughs> one go
1: on I think for me the third point is lack of thoracic mobility or tightness in the shoulder girdle. So if you press you right. So you're... I don't know if you saw the um the blurb or everyone saying, Oh, Z's being a really harsh referee, he's making Luke hold at the top. You see that? Yeah. So there are lots of people going, oh, he's being a really harsh referee. Right. If your all your joints are in a line, you can hold 50% more weight at the top. So holding you know, your one RM at the top for an extra five seconds is is a piece of piss. It's only difficult if you lack thoracic mobility or uh, uh, mobility in the shoulder girdle. So the next point would be not being able to lock the weights out. And due to like, so when people do that and they're leaning back and then they kind of tilt their head forward. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to name names, but there's plenty of, plenty of high level strongmen that still do that. And the, the problem is then not a strength problem. It is a mobility problem or a flexibility problem. So not fixing uh, the mobility problem in the shoulder girdle is a massive one.
2: Yeah. So, so obviously, I know you love stuff like the gua sha or and the acupressure, and you've got different techniques for mobility and stuff than most people. If someone was suffering with that thoracic extension, what would be your go-to fix? Like, quick—is is, there—is there a quick fix, or is it more of a long-term? No. It's it, so it's kind of like.
1: What I would do then is every time they press overhead, they should be stretching or mobilizing, whatever way you want to call the forehand. So the quick fix is the, the old, um, you put your elbow, you hold a stick here and then yeah, elbows yeah. together and then push down. But if you externally rotate more and then you can push the stick this way or this way and you can get more stretch through one side or the other. If you stretch and then use your new range of movement, you will retain more of it. So let's say you get an extra 10 degrees and then you come back next week when you've lost 5 degrees but you you've still gained 5 degrees overall so it's kind of like uh, uh, use it or lose it so stretch before train stretch before train it's not always about stretching sometimes it's about activating the posterior uh, side so client i've got right now uh, his shoulder comes forward so he's missing his consistency at top weights isn't quite there so i'm like yeah. look you need to stretch Okay, not stretch, you need to activate the posterior side of the shoulder, so the the external rotators, posterior deltoid. He was stretching for 10 minutes beforehand, but he was stretching this side of his body, and then it would get into position, but it would come straight back. So he wasn't fixing the right problem. So the quick fix would be uh, stretch, activate, and train with it.
2: Right.
1: Okay. I'm doing okay. that because my log's over there. So not, it's, yeah. not, it's not giving you guys any idea of what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I think
0: that's, that's, a, that's a great point. If, I think if the listeners look at it, see, I, I look at it in my head as like a little triangle where you kind of open up the range, then activate the, the kind of muscles that are stabilised in that way. And then a thing that where, where I see a lot of people missing the boat is is actually the skill acquisition part of the thing that you're trying to, the thing mm. that you're trying to do. So in the case of like, say, the log, Actually just doing like a five-second hold at lockout in this newfound range when you've opened up this thoracic extension mm. Activated the posterior side all that stuff like actually just just practice Just hold the log overhead for five seconds at the end of the year and the last rep is set or something That's something that I, I like to do personally
1: I, I tell you one of my rules with my clients is it's a two-second hold overhead looking forward before you can put it down. That's the rep. So when I, when I period, so when I program, the tempo is normally one two X two d- determined from the, the push press, they'll, they'll push it up. They have to hold it for two seconds under control. So it's like Olympic weightlifting. That one yeah. me up in competition as well. So in Olympic weightlifting that you see them hold it for ages, cause they're waiting for a sound. They're waiting for a buzzer from one of the referees. Yeah. And my belief is that should be what it's like in strongman Cause again, you, yeah. you can hold overhead when all the joints are in a line, way more weight if i asked shane to do a heavy support with a swiss bar or a barbell he put you know 220 one week yeah he'd i 40 the next week he'd be at a, you know because all of his joints are in a line and that's the problem when people are trying to hold up and, you know say oh I locked the weight out. you've locked the weight out but you haven't aligned your joints that's why it's difficult for him
0: yeah, and that's why people are get getting like, oh, like, oh no, my my shoulders are getting really really tired holding it. Yeah. And It's like because <laughs> you, uh, it's actually because you, your positioning's out. Like a um, thing that thing that you that are like from weightlifting a quote is um, trust your skeleton. So basically, if you you find that position overhead where your joints are stacked on top of each other, if if you it's relatively weightless, isn't it? Like you say, like I agree with Tom. Mike, you could get like fifty percent.
2: Yeah, I don't think it should be hard to stand there with it locked out once you. You know, you can start. I feel like I could stand there as long as I wanted once it's overhead. To be honest, Um, but I do know the feeling of having poor mobility because when I've had phase, like when I did my powerlifting phase and I went back to overhead. I did basically what you just said to get that um, range of motion back. And then once I'd attained that, again, I felt like, oh, there we go. I can just stand here now. Whereas at first it was just a horrible position trying to pull me forward and getting that uh, extension from the lower back to try and compensate. And yeah. Yeah, it just feels horrendous. So, yeah.
1: I mean, there's a good point you raise there. Another, another program design problem is people using bench press to improve their overhead press when they're already imbalanced there the...
0: Oh. oh, we've discussed this, haven't we, Shane? Have You're going to it again? No, we're joking. No, we're joking. Um, <laughs> have you? You got? A, you have a turn uh, asking Tom a question because I'll I'll just talk to him all day, mate.
2: Right? <laughs> on. well, the one thing I wanted just to get Tom to speak about is obviously, and I, I know you love um, isometrics um, in your training, and I notice you do it a lot. Um, with like mechanical uh, changes. So you'll do like, well, I don't know exactly cause I've just seen your videos, but you seem to do like incline and then your progression is like dropping the, the incline down um, and changing the isometric point. Would you be able to give us like a bit of an overview of how you implement isometrics into a yeah. training block for pressing, yeah. for example.
1: For pressing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, any isometric session, you should be looking at three different ranges. So, if we just divide the, the body, uh, sorry, the range of movement into three parts top, top, top third. Uh, okay, can third, I just interrupt a sec? Sorry. Third.
0: So, isometric for any listeners who are a bit thick means uh, pause,
2: <laughs> doesn't it? Pretty much. I, I mean, isometric. Well, means it means pressing into immovable.
1: Uh, yeah. So, you've got functional isometrics and yeah. yielding isometrics. Yielding isometric would be like. And you would just hold it at the point. So that could, could pause at the bottom. looking at is, and what Shane's uh, uh, referring to is functional isometrics. So I right, would be okay. in a bench, in a rack, for instance, bar would start at collarbones. I would press the bar up, if, and it would I uh, the weight pins or your safeties, safety yep. straps, whatever. So I'm pressing against a force I cannot move. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, so that's that's the method that Shane's referring to. Brilliant. Um, so again, you you divide it into three positions. The reason you do that is you want to get strong. Obviously, each position you need balance, but you can get stronger fifteen degrees above and below where you're pressing. So if I'm pressing and you know I've only got the rack, only allows me to get it uh, press into press the bar into the rack at my chin. Well, I'm going to get. Uh, stronger just above and just below that point. So it's not at that set point that I get stronger. There's like a smaller radiation effect you could consider. So I would always do, I say always it's a principle. So, you know, I'll break the rule. Uh, I break the principle at some point. So I will generally do three different positions. I will do lower point because it's usually the weakest point. So I'll press the bar into around my chin. I would do the midpoint, which would be pressing the bar maybe around the forehead and, or pressing into an isometric around the forehead. And then I would do a top, range position which is pretty much lockout. Um, most of the time you want to go from weakest to strongest. Now you can be you can be weaker anywhere. I've had somebody really weak at the top of the squat. You'll actually find that a lot of people in the mid-range of a movement are weaker than the bottom range. The reason being is when let's say you go down in a squat you're used to going down the squat kind of bouncing out uh, and using the speed from the bounce to kind of accelerate through the mid-range. So what happens there is the mid range doesn't get any tension. It's just a case of your body's reacting and, 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 you know, coming back up. So nothing switches on. So you can find that you can be very weak in the mid range position. This is what I found uh, with a lot of people. And this is why I'm using, we'll use Hicks as an example, because obviously you know, he's the most widely known uh, log presser at the moment that I'm training. So we used it on his clean at the mid position because normally Hicks, he would drop into a clean and then from the bottom, he would explode up. Momentum would carry it through the mid range. So, in that mid range, Hicks, he's probably not firing anything. Makes sense? So he's just allowing the momentum from the bounce in the bottom for the log just to fly up. So if I get him to start firing in that mid range by using some isometric contractions, he's going to get stronger there, which is then going to carry through as his intermuscular coordination improves into a better clean.
2: Yeah, So I saw him do- doing those uh, cleans. I did wonder, uh, I wonder the reason you had him doing it. So that's good to, good to know. We- Shane, we we kind of talked about with Luke about de- de- on Thursday
0: about deadlift programming, didn't we? Where, we? where we were saying about like basically different variations and um, and uh, how how they can can help the main lift. And I suppose it's um, I suppose it's some. I'll be honest, like something I never really never really thought about the um, a way of developing that that kind of um, yeah. I Like it, brilliant. It's got got me thinking. It, it's almost um, an assessment, like you get somebody to do, I had a power to do it for the first time,
1: and I watched him do it, and he nearly fell over with just the bar. We're talking, that's that's not even 20 kilos of pressure at certain range, like in the mid-range. And like, well, you strengthen that range up, your squat's going to fly through the roof. So right now, your body only has the capability in the mid-range to apply 20 kilos of pressure, and you want to get to a 250 squat, Well, just yeah. improving that, your, 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 your lifts are going to fly up. Uh, in an isometric, you can apply uh, depending on which research paper you, you, you read, anywhere up to 15% more strength. So you can recruit higher levels of motor units. So it wow. is a great method to get stronger. Have you guys, I'm sure you have. I know, have you heard of Julius Maddox? Yeah. yeah. Ben. So he's the bench press guy, right? Um, he's trained by a guy called Josh Bryant. Josh Bryant is very well known for utilizing functional isometrics. If it works for someone who's about to bench press 800. okay it definitely be you can play out and use for yourself
0: Sorry, can you just say that little bit again the the connection went a bit funny so after you said you were about to say benching 800 pounds if it works for somebody benching 800 pounds so it's worked for you
1: someone who, you know to, to get all the way to an 800 pound bench press so it's something yeah. that anybody can use uh, and incorporate into their training i'm not saying use it all the time it's a it's a tool like anything else, but if, if, yeah. if you haven't used it in a, in a training cycle, I'd look at it and be like, it's something you can use. You don't just have to use it in the three ranges I said. You can literally just find your weak range and then work that and just overload that for a period of time. Um, the other main principle I would use with using isometrics, if you do isometrics, at the end of your session, you need to do a full range set just to, uh, it's to do with the neurological firing again. You want to do a – you finish on the top range, do one extra full range set. I've used it to hit PBs. If you do one set, maximal effort at the bottom range, mid range, top range, go and put on say your, you know five RM, and you'll probably get six, seven reps of them.
0: Brilliant. So what the thing that I like 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 about it as well is um, that you that it's another it's another variable change that you can uh, put into your programming where you can keep the I suppose the implement relatively like specific like you you're using it with hicks with the log for instance um so he can still feel the implement and it's specific but it's it's like but because it'll be almost like a fresh variation that he's never trained before like i imagine mm-hmm. that he's going to get some like really easy linear gains you know like over the course of like four weeks he's just going to milk like it's just going to get significantly easier isn't it without killing him if you will yeah, um, yeah for sure rather than just kind of doing the, the same the same kind of variation that he's been doing for whatever. Yeah, I like, I like that.
2: So, Tom, how would you, uh, where, whereabouts in a phase would you, let's say you're peaking, let's just, I know we keep speaking about press, but uh, say you're peaking the press, where where how far out would you finish your isometric um, training block? And is there a phase that is best to be, transitioned into after it to get the most benefit.
1: I'll answer in a couple of ways just to make it easy for you go. So the bottom line is you can use it just before a one RM attempt. So look at it that way. It's a potentiation effect. I know uh, some bench pressures. I'm pretty sure Julius uses it. He will do an isometric lockout with, you know, whatever weight plus somebody pushing down on the bar before he goes out and tries his three sixty three. So you can use it, to potentiate the nervous system. So if you think, if you know that it means that you, you can use it at any point in a training block, right, okay. my, my opinion on training is, is to undulate. Um, I don't use linear models personally. Um, I get better results or I feel better with an undulating model. I know how to affect change with it. So with that being said, I would use it in intensification phase. Right. So let's let's give an example. Like the first phase, let's say weeks one to two, I wouldn't use it. Weeks three and four, I'd use it. Weeks five and six, come away from it. Week seven and eight, use it. And you can use it much ways you can use it for every single position, or just use it at certain positions.
2: Cool, interesting, good food
1: for thought for me. It's great for rep PBs. Because obviously a rep PB is not like, it's not maximal. It's sub-maximal by, by the name. It's a rep PB. But if you've got a rep PB and you're feeling good and you're like, okay, I'm going I'm to do this. You can do it with the deadlift, squat, or bench. Do those three points just for one set each. Potentiate your nervous system. Go and get, then go and do your ramp-ups for the whatever it is, and you will crush a rep PB. I've done it so many times with myself and other clients. The article's on my website.
0: So what, yeah, but- what's, your, what's your website, by the way?
1: Oh fuck! Currently, it's winning, uh, winning-performance
2: Brilliant. Yeah, just may as well say the articles on that site are absolutely awesome. I've literally read them all about 30 times. They're really good. Try and remember times. the knowledge in them because they're uh, they're just great. And there's there's one one of my favourite deadlift training blocks that I use and I always tell people that it's from that site as well, I've got a pluggy every time, is the one where you do the uh, things like two weeks accumulation, two weeks intensification, it's like 10 by four snatch grips or something, or deficits, you can choose your variation, and then it goes into like cluster sets later on. I think it's an absolutely brilliant training block, and it's just on, that, on the site, so I think people should check that out. I can't remember what the article's called, it's probably called Deadlift Program or something, but definitely check that one out. It's actually got
1: six. It's got six. Pro, it's got six programs on there. It's um, uh, undulating periodization for maximal strength, and it explains why I don't like linear and prefer undulating. We won't. We don't need, necessarily need to go into that. But it, there's six different um, options. You have got deadlift, front squat, back squat, bench press, log press. So it's like a twelve-week free twelve-week programs. But it's only the A series. Obviously, you'd have to figure out your own assistance as well. But thank you for plugging it, Shane. I
2: appreciate it. Yeah, I think it's really good. I think it's class. Used it myself a long time ago, actually, because I think the article's quite old, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I haven't been getting too much up to date stuff recently because we've got an online platform, and I've just been my time's been taken up by that. Right. Okay.
0: So, how, how would you? Um, what What would you say the the? Are there any technical differences that you'd recommend for somebody who's peaking for a max log versus log for reps?
1: So max log, we'll start with log for reps. So log for reps, you need to define whether it's going to be strength endurance or so the basic premise would be look at the weight for the competition. Let's say you're eight to 12 weeks out. Right now, day one, is the weight going to be I'm going to get between one and five reps or I'm going to get between eight and 12 reps because the way you set up for it is slightly different. If it's between one and five reps, just focus on maximal strength gains. If it's between 8 and 12 reps, which, I mean, it's strength endurance, you need to, what I would do is four to six weeks out, focus on strength endurance. Any time before that, focus on maximal strength. So you must be strong before you can be enduring. It's obvious that if, if let's say, it's a 100 kilo log and your max is 120, well, if I can get you to 140 before we start the endurance phase, you're going to get more reps on 100 kilo log because it's a lower percentage of max. Endurance only really needs to be, Uh, Improved in the last four to six weeks any more than that and it you're gonna you're either gonna burn out You just don't need it. It's just too much Um, Four weeks tends to be about enough Um, Maximal strength I would use an undulating protocol the best way for me to explain what to do There is to go to my website and figure out and and use those use those programs that Shane was just talking about Um, But I mean, suppose that most people know what to do with maximal strength. What I find is that the biggest difference or the biggest area that I find people uh, mess up or not get the most out of is peaking Um, the last four weeks, last two weeks or whatever. I have a general principle that I would apply. And that would be, I mean, I, I don't get these principles myself. I can tell you exactly the people I get them from. So Louis Simmons. We know, you know him from Westside bar, yeah, but I yeah. assume. he's got, got loads of content. He's a great writer. You know, he's a bit crazy and he speaks very quickly, maybe like me, but if you, if you could slow down, you can pick out some great stuff. And if you look at their maximal effort method, they rotate their lifts every week. Louis talks about a lot of accommodation at 90% happening after two weeks, rarely three weeks. So that gives you a massive clue. You can stay at your peak. So over 90% of your 1RM, you can stick around there for two weeks. Okay? Now you want to hit it at comp. So that's one week. It means that you can only do a lift over 90% the week before comp. Anything before that has to be below your current 90% of your 1RM if you want to hit 100% of your 1RM then. So you can figure out where in your training cycle to hit your 1RMs. Five weeks out, you can hit a super maximal lift because then you can drop back down, build back up. But, you know, the week before comp, you can hit a big lift. And then the idea is leave a lit in the tank, hit more the following week. Um, I see people uh, go too heavy for too long. Like they're trying to stay above 90% for, say, three weeks. They get to the comp, they wonder why they can't hit, you know, 100 and whatever percent. Um, another big thing is delaying gratification. It's, it's, it feels fucking brilliant when you hit a PB um in the gym or out the gym but i can tell you right now the biggest lesson i learned and that's the only thing that allowed me to hit the world record was to hit it fucking comp uh, and delay gratification it's great when you hit it in the gym but you know you'll remember a world record or a british or a record or a pb better when you hit it in competition you look at big z he has never hit a pb in the gym i asked him i was like come on what's the biggest lift you've done he's like "No, well, they're on tv like that, that there's nothing to it i'm like no you must have done something else i had him one-on-one an interview uh, recording and he's like no in the in the gym is pointless i was like, okay I need to learn that lesson quickly um so delaying gratification is a big lesson for people
0: <laughs> well and how long would you have um like say say you did the uh super maximal effort what do you say 5 weeks out or something like how yeah. how would how long would you have be like say someone going over 90% how how close could they be before that final week that like last heavy single or whatever like um assuming that you're going to do like a ninety percent lift one week out approximately um what would be like say the previous block like be just before you drop drop down again yeah. what's the what's the, what would the duration be that you'd recommend usually sure, so I mean
1: look at it very linearly uh, if we look at competition is week zero week one is ninety percent and we're working back. Week two, you could be hitting triples, three three threes, a big triple. Week before that, fives. That's the exact protocol I used as I peaked for the the 166 at under 90. It's on the website. I give you exact sets, reps that I use. It was just like three fives build up to a big five. Next week, I think it was 140. Following week was build up to a big triple. I think it was 150. And then because it's 90%, you've got so many different options. So the option I chose for that week was three singles at 160, which was around 90% at one hour.
2: Is this what's no, that it was outlined more than in your log ebook as well?
1: For um,
2: so the peaking, yes. Right. So I, check out the log, the log, log ebook, was... ebook as well, which is on the website as well still, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's still
2: available. And would you
0: do with the, with the when you're doing the fives and the threes, would you do a clean eat rep or from the chest on log? It depends what you're weakest in. I mean, the way
1: I see it is you could, you could do clean and press each rep. You could do, like, if I could go back and change it, I'd probably do. No, I wouldn't change shit because I hit the world record. But my weakest point was from the chest because my clean was quite good. Right, right. now, I'm having, I've been having trouble with the clean. I need to perfect it. So if I did it again, I'd probably clean and press each rep. The reason being is I'd get more first reps. I'd probably use a rest in between like clean it, take 30 seconds, clean it. Um, I think, you know, when I was, I was thinking about the other day with with Hixie because obviously I'm helping him with his programming and he does, he has a nice, nice linear model that he uses. He does a single, then he backs off and does 85%, three sets of three at it. And I was like, oh, he's probably going to press these from the chest, but he always cleans it. He cleans every one of those reps. And I looked at him I was like, that's fucking clever because he's getting more first reps than I did. And that's why yeah. Hicksy's technique is so on point. He doesn't move his feet. He doesn't jump backwards. Um, obviously, he is a technician. He likes to make every rep look the same and look quick and look perfect. But if you don't clean every rep, you don't get more first reps. So it's not just applicable to clean and press comps. <clears throat> it's applicable yeah. to the fact that you get more application of cleaning than pressing, whether you take it straight away or get a 30-second rest.
0: Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that's a, that's a good thing for, for some people to take away. Um, I think some people who, can, who are listening can thirdly, imagine you're doing a set of three or a set of five from the chest on log, And how often do you find where you kind of make a bit of a mistake or fuck up on the first rep and then the second and third rep feel easier than the first? But if we think about it, the rep two, three, four, and five are actually different to that first rep. Because the first rep is about where you, whether you receive the clean in the right position and stuff. Like rep two, three, four, and five, you're almost using the eccentric to help you with that. Like you're using that lowering down to your shoulders to almost assist you putting it putting it into a good position, ready to go again. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a massive fan personally of um, of um, of cleaning cleaning. uh, Cleaning, mo- I personally clean most of my reps, um, mm-hmm. and that, and that's been my, like I've uh, I've progressed quite well on my overhead in the last last year or so, and um, and that that kind of like more than more than other stuff to be honest, and that that kind of uh, happened by by accident I suppose because like I, I've always struggled with like say push pressing from a rack or repping say from the chest because i don 't know if i've like i 've like always got like like a niggle at my elbow or shoulders or whatever, whereas if I uh, do a clean a rep and then get it overhead and then dump it or whatever take the eccentric out like yeah, it feels a lot a lot better for me to recover from upper body wise mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. S- same with the same with the dumbbell like i've never like you see people like from the shoulders and i i just i just think it'd absolutely break me but um
2: um you're you 're a technician though aren 't you <laughs> So, you're, you're compared like your strict press, for example. Uh, your eccentrics going to be relevant to your strict press, and because you're always popping weights over your head with a split jerk, the, you, you're going to struggle to get the eccentric control, aren't you? When it's like 40, 50, 60 kilo over what your actual concentric strength is, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 well, that, oh, yeah, de- you, de- definitely. It's just on the dumbbell, you're popping up 90 kilo the other day. And you know, I don't even know if you could. Not that you have to, but I don't know if you could strip even half that. So it's probably no, like I, to, to be it. honest. To be honest, Shane, I don't even know if I could.
0: I don't, I don't even know if I could do fifty. I don't even know if I could lower fifty to my shoulders to rep to to rep it again. I just have to drop it every time. But um but I suppose what I'm saying is like I've kind of found out by mistake, person like personally that can um I suppose that. You, there is a bit of science behind it that you can, can get that, develop that concentric phase skill by saving that, that energy from, like, I don't do much eccentric on my pressing or my overhead or whatever. And I suppose like, like what weightlifters do. Um, you see what weightlifters improve a lot technically by, um, um, eliminating that, that eccentric and dropping from overhead. Um, so what, what do you, what do you think about that, Tom? Um, suppose the the trade-off of eliminating the eccentric on clean and press to with a view to improving skill on the concentric versus actually like some people would say to me well well you're missing out getting strong by not doing the eccentric if you will what do you do you understand what i mean
1: no i get the question but i would use the eccentric strength deficit ratio again look up eccentric training on my website and you'll see how to figure out the ratio. But if you know your eccentric strength, it gives you the the, the number and the potential right, to increase for your concentric strength. Uh, Olympic weightlifting is a different animal, but I do believe that they, they should be using more of those. Uh, you look at the old Russian weightlifters, they used to use a lot of complexes um, not because they wanted to can, you know, they wanted to get more time under tension. They wanted to create um, eccentric, contractions to develop hypertrophy i use it with some of my weightlifters i say no drops so they have to control it down which makes yeah. them catch it which is like a forceful eccentric so i use it for hypertrophy purposes but um as you get closer to comp you want the eccentric removed the eccentric should dissipate as you go through the program as you get closer and closer to peak you want to be you want your concentric uh, strength to match your eccentric strength if there's still a gap it means you've still got potential to
0: improve Brilliant. So, so I'll be able to go on your website and have a look at some numbers and, and it'll di- like kind of guide me whether I should be looking at...
1: Yeah, so if we look at it, um, if you can push... Do you, you push jerk the log
0: or...? Yeah, yeah. Push jerk, <laughs> split, uh, split jerk my max. Split jerk is 135.
2: Is that right? 130. 130, 131.
1: So you can look at the... If you look at the ratio between... Uh, it's different it 's difficult because you can 't you can 't compare a split jerk to a push press ratio uh,
0: p- uh, p- say p- say push j- power you uh, know push jerk or whatever on the like say axle one third i think one thirty is my best and then but like push press and might like, struggling with one fifteen if you want to improve your push press or figure out
1: where it is, so you would, you would figure out how much you can lower. And we'll just take some random numbers. So let's say you can push press 100 kilos, but if we got and walked 140 kilos out the rack and I asked you to control it for five seconds down and you can control it, there's a 40% deficit there. So it uh, means okay. that you have the potential to improve. But eccentric strength deficit doesn't really apply when it comes to looking at push jerk. I may use it for you. I may go, look, push jerk and control put some stuff down because I want to hypertrophy relevant fibers in that movement, but it's not going to transfer, uh, with regard to the ratio. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Um, it works very well with deadlifts, deadlifts. You actually see the opposite because no, who, who controls a deadlift? Not many. Um, most people will just, will get, will be eccentric plus and I understand why. Um, but if you figure out what you can control down, it means you can, you, you have the potential to improve. If you improve your eccentric, it can transfer to your content centric
0: so to be clear you'd put like more uh like say um the eccentric control stuff at like start of a training block so like say say for instance if we were doing dead deadlift for instance and uh, going for like say i don't know 12 week peak for a deadlift at the start you could be doing stuff like say touch and go or rdls or whatever Mm -hmm. To and then rdls are great for it but i've done pure eccentrics
1: with the deadlift.
2: You've got that's a machine good. made, haven't you? Uh, to help yeah, them. so
1: All Out Athletics uh, made it. And we're going to be working together. And that that's the other company that I've been setting up in the background, winning strength equipment. We're going to be working together on designing some equipment. But yeah, it's just like, imagine putting the monolift hooks at a deadlift point. It's, it's its like that. I think most com- most people have you know, a power rack with monolift. You know the monolift hooks that just kind of drop away yeah. after you pick the bar up? So let's yeah. say you're doing an RDL or you, you set it up for an RDL body height. It means you haven't got to walk back when you're walking back with a deadlift. I remember doing it out the rack with, it was only oh, that's kilos, but trying to, trying to, trying to walk back with 300 kilos. And then you want, you want, you don't want your feet like that. And then trying to lower a deadlift. Um, so it means that your feet are planted. You just do either a shrug or just stand up a little bit, hooks drop away, and then you can control uh, the eccentric down. But yes, for you as a, as someone who's doing a jerk, uh, eccentrically, you don't need to be strong eccentrically to come towards the the peak. You want to be strong concentrically. So I would do it very early, literally maybe one, maybe two to four weeks of it. And that's all you need just to tickle it over. Um, otherwise, you know, law of accommodation sets in and you're not going to be hypertrophying relevant fibers. Remember that the eccentric contraction predominantly recruits fasted fibers. What do you want to fire when you are lifting maximal weights, Fasted fibers. So to stimulate them and to strengthen up tendons and to get, you know, super maximal weights through your body. There's there's no better way.
2: Brilliant. Right, moving away from this, this might be a final topic. I don't know how we're doing for time, but I've got yeah. A, go on then. F- final topic. Got a question that um, I got asked an official strongman to do, and I wanted to know your opinion on it. And it was basically well, the way I broke it down was kind of the the old school I called it way of training strongman was you did your gym training during the week and then an event day at the weekend. And then, as it's got more popular, there's more facilities out there for people where they can actually their their local gym has showman equipment. People have started phasing events in, you know, during the week, and um, with you know side by side with like deadlift or whatever. How is your preferred way of setting up uh, a week's training? Say the facility has everything they need. Um, how how is it you'd implement moving events with with your you know static lifts
1: i would put them on the same day i would be training neurally or heavy so i kind of you could look at it as i use a west side approach for i shouldn't say this but a conjugate approach for strongmen so especially when you get strong uh, strong being defined as you know national level in whatever like you know triple body weight deadlift strong Once you get to that point, you don't want to be training as heavy as often. So my opinion on that is you have two heavy days and two speed days. So it depends where the event lies. Do you want to work on speed? Do you want to work on on maximal weight? So for me, what I've had success with more recently is, you know, you'll have a heavy overhead day. That will be one neural day. You'll have a heavy lower day. Most of the time you're working on deadlifts because there's, there's more transfer for deadlift into strongman performance because there's not as many squats. Squats, my belief is it's an assistance movement for strongman. Um, which may come after that. Um, so I would do the event work after, say, heavy deadlifts. What I found is I tried to, you try put it during the week. Like, let's say you did the traditional, I did heavy log on Monday or heavy pressing, and then you did some heavy deadlifts, heavy squats, and then maybe you just did some strict pressing on Thursday, and then you do event session. It, it's too many heavy days for you to recover from. So it depends what you're looking at. You can do it if you're doing speed work. So let's say Shane does heavy log on a Monday, heavy deadlift on a Wednesday. and he does some speed press work. He could do speed moving events because it wouldn't tax him neurally as much. So he could load up and that's what speed works of 50 to 70% on the yoke and do speed runs. Like he has a a stopwatch and he goes, look, each 20 meter run has to be between six and eight seconds. So you define speed by actually going quickly, not by not by. I don't like. I don't define speed with percentages like Louis does. Um, I, I put times and speed of the bar on it. Um, so it depends whether you want to put it as a speed lift chain or a heavy lift, because obviously yeah. you need to do heavy yoke work as well. Um, but I find that what I used to be absolutely drained by the time I came to the Friday and the event work because I'd done heavy log, heavy deadlift, and I did speed press, and then another heavy session. It just took too much out of me. I used to put speed deadlift before it. I've changed it with all my clients uh, in the last uh, couple of years. I've gone, right, you're going to do heavy deadlifts and then events. That is very specific to what they need. Plus, you're only going to heavy deadlift every other week. Uh, The deadlift is too, too neurally draining to do every week. I know some freaks do it. I get that. And some people train that way. But my opinion on it is if you want to go 90% or more in the deadlift, it takes 10 to 14 days to recover from that session. And then you want to go do yoke and stuff yeah it's tough so uh, i would use it as a lower body neural day most of the time
2: shane yeah that's pretty much what what i do apart from i the way i do it is i always have them deadlift the monday and then they'll move like a the the head most most neural draining one on the friday um so they might deadlift monday yoke on friday and then the following week they'll light dead and maybe yeah. farmer's walk. So that when they come back to the heavy dead, they're only recovering from the farmer's walk or the matter of speed, yeah. dead, depending on the comp or whatever. Um so I like I, I love the rotational way that like Louis Simmons rotates all these. Cause he does it mainly with his assistance for powerlifters and I kinda like stray that to the events and just rotate them around, speed, heavy, different events all the time. And then mm-hmm. you constantly training that foot, foot that foot pattern for foot speed because whether it's farmers or yoke is very similar but then you're not getting like you say that big build up of fatigue that's going to carry into your, your other sessions
1: I think the key variable that you're taking like even though you're doing say heavy heavy deadlift heavy press, heavy yoke the key variable that you're taking, a, taking into account is recovery so after the heavy yoke you're not going yeah go and do another oh, fuck me you're not going and do another heavy deadlift session so you're making sure that the client recovers. It's almost like a heavy week and then a lighter week. And I think for it's the same kind of concept. I would I would definitely back that. I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. That would work too. There's there's, no, there's too many ways to skin a cat. There's no right or wrong. The key would be, you know, what's the new, what's the um, physiological variable and that's recovery. And you're you're able to recover from that. And that would be, I yeah,
2: I would do that as well. That's cool. Yeah, because when I did it, I used to I actually used to do it the way around. Then what I found was I kept having heavy yoke on the light deadlift day um but then that would mean that the following week would be heavy deadlifts so they'd be kind of like so i I kind of just swapped it to like one full neural week and then like a speed Mm. restoration week this is for like guys that are really strong i'm talking about who are like uh, you know really need to you know pin that recovery on because they're going to be yoking even speed yoke's going to be you know 280 Mm. or something so yeah yeah
1: Yeah, for sure for sure i agree with that
0: so I think, think that's great for um, for the listeners to take away who maybe haven't got a coach or follow a program or maybe the program themselves. Like, I think if you if you you uh, look at that structure of um, say say or we'll, we'll just just recap with a typical training week. So Monday, max effort deadlift or do some heavy deadlift. It could be whatever threes, fives, pretty heavy. And then some events where you put in you might do your farmers' yoke carries, front carries, medley, or whatever. And then say a Tuesday where you're coming in, you're feeling a bit neurologically drained, you're feeling a bit zombied. Like maybe do work on like the the speed. Would you work on speed then? On the Speed overhead on the Tuesday. If it was me,
2: I'd be doing like a, sh- a strict press variation or something low hinge bearing as well. So I know you guys don't like bench, but incline bench or something where, you know, you're not putting any load for the posterior chain. Or even if I was doing assistance, like seal rows or something, that's just how I would do it.
0: Yeah, so, so like assuming that they're, uh, that they're a bit fatigued in that um, in the hip hinge or whatever. they don't want to
2: count the big Monday.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, so stuff like they, they could even like say log from the rack or push press from the rack, lower intensity um, with uh, more volume, and then maybe Wednesday recovery, Thursday um, lo- lower body where they're, they're doing the speed speed deadlifts, Tom, and um, mm-hmm. and maybe some squat assistance work, which we've kind of touched on before, haven't we, for programming strongman, Shane? We've like kind of said what you said about squat being a, a great assistance exercise. Um, and, and do as it really I say, depends not that, where squat I don't is as do well. that.
2: I just squat heavy. but <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this,
0: this is it. The squat is the easiest
1: movement to recover from. You can squat every day to max. There's loads of programs out there and people showing me you can do that. But the squat, it depends where it is. Like if I've got a guy and I've had guys, they can deadlift. Uh, I've had a, I'm trying to think of some, some numbered examples, deadlift 320 at 80 kilos. But he can only squat like 170, 180. Like that's a huge difference. You need to be within balance. Um, if like you do a squat,
2: yeah, that's pretty much tw- twins.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then what you see is, you know, their technique on their deadlift. It could be strong, but their hips rise first, as opposed to their upper back, because they get no leg drive. Um, so it does does depend. And going back to your point about bench press, it's not that I don't like it. Okay. My point on bench press would be it needs to be within within a specific ratio. So I use structural balance numbers for for the shoulder, so it has to be within whatever. So I I train wherever you're weakest. So to give you an idea, my overhead is, you know, not stronger than my bench press, but it's overpowering on the ratio. So I need to go back and do some actually this bench press work. I'm just putting it off. Right.
0: Brilliant. And then and then on Friday we do the would you like a, a max effort heavy like say log clean and press or whatever, would it would that be like a typical kind of structure, Tom? We got that right.
1: So if I sorry, because I, I'm getting the days mixed up just because of the way I'm thinking about what goes where. So Monday heavy press.
0: All oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Could you could you prioritise your log? Uh, don't you?
1: But I, yeah. so I prioritize the press because <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I prioritize my log. It's the fact that even when I have somebody doing dumbbell or axle as a strongman, Monday is heavy press day because you want to be recovered for that. So Monday is heavy press day off because you're going to be neurally drained. Wednesday would be the heavy lower. So like deadlifts and events, for instance, then another day off on Thursday, because again, you're going to be fucked. So Thursday is off Friday, Saturday are the speed days. Which means, All right, okay. look at it. Look at it this way. So your last heavy deadlift was Wednesday. You've got Thursday off. Friday's only speed work. Saturday's only speed work. Sunday's off. You've now got a lot of energy to recover and 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 put into the heavy press day. So heavy press day is first because it's probably the weakest in the in the variable, uh, and it's lighter and it won't affect the deadlift negatively. If you put the deadlift on the Monday, the oh, overhead yeah. on the Wednesday is now negatively affected.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, so you yes, so, so you put I, your two max effort sessions together, basically. And the deadlift
1: after it, because obviously I want that to. Yeah. All oh, right. It. Okay. That's If it, you do deadlift and yoke and all that, and then do log two days later, even with the one day rest, there is going to be some residual or neural fatigue. Yeah. I yeah. also don't like any more Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, because it's, they're all too close. If you can get a day off after each neural day, then you're going to recover from them better. Um, if you do monday tuesday thursday friday and you have a two-day weekend the friday sucks you just you're absolutely fuck for it and then all of the quality on that day goes to shit you get lovely recovery over the weekend but your central nervous system readiness for the monday isn't actually on point so it actually affects the monday negatively so you don't want to take two days off it's don't train more than two days in a row and don't take two days off is optimal wow.
0: Brilliant, Tom. Are we we happy at that, Shane? Have you got anything else to finish off with?
2: No, no, it it makes sense actually, because I was actually thinking, because I've been writing out my training block that I'm going to use when I finally get all my actual kit in and stuff. And I kept thinking to myself, last time I did this, my Friday was always crap. And um, I hadn't actually given it too much thought yet about what I was going to do. And that kind of maybe changes my... My thought on my training structure. I might, I might jig my days around because I do the typical uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday training sessions, and uh, usually I would try and put Thursday as like a, a substrate day. I, I would, I would usually do, and so I'm fresher for the Friday. But even even then, i um, tended to be. I, I I struggle with recovery from heavy deadlifts. To be fair, so. I usually do every other week as well. But my Friday session on a heavy deadlift week is always crap. So I might just try taking my Tuesday off and do Wednesday and then Thursday off. And then I'll probably, I'll probably be fresh for, for events with you, Josh, on Friday. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun.
0: All right, thanks very much, Tom. Lovely to meet you. Um, and got some and you. Thank awesome you. stuff Thank you. to um, implement in our, our own and actually, and stuff to yeah, play Yeah, thanks, with. Tom.
1: Um, oh it's been it's been my pleasure I'm more than happy to come on again I had a, had a lot of fun by the way Shane what do what you wear at the moment your arm in front of that camera makes you look 150 <laughs> fucking I'm going to you Tom for the, you just for the doing first it for time angles?
2: <laughs> for the first time in 10 years of training for the last 8 months I've trained arms twice a week and I've put 2 inches on my arms I've got 18 inch arms they're pretty big um,